I want you to come with me now to the letter in your New Testament called Galatians. This is a letter that a man named, the, man named Paul, who we call the Apostle Paul, wrote to uh, a church in the ancient Roman city of Galatia. And we're going to begin in Galatians chapter 5 uh, and in verse 13. And if you're new to the scriptures, just a heads up, there's going to be some language in here that's probably a bit unfamiliar to you. I'll do my best to explain it to you as we read and then also as we go throughout the message. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 13, Paul says this, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. You've been called to freedom. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Now, Paul uses that word flesh to summarize our kind of natural selfish tendencies and desires. So he says, you're free, but not for the sake of serving yourself. You're free for the sake of loving and serving one another. For all the law, that is the law of God, is fulfilled in one word, even in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust, the desires, the selfishness of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. They're, they're obvious. They're adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries. This sounds like a very dysfunctional person, but I'm sure we can identify with at least some of that. And the like, Paul says. In other words, there's just too many works of the flesh to even list. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in the time past, that those who practice, that is, they make a habit of engaging in this behavior, practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control against such things there's no law and those who are Christ those who belong to Jesus they've crucified the flesh our selfish desires with its passions and desires if we live in the spirit let us also walk in the spirit talking about this subject the fruit of the Holy Spirit today I want to use the title how to live in the light why don't you write that down in a notebook or on your phone how to live in the light and today we are talking about one of the most fundamental truths of life in the Holy Spirit. And that truth is that if we are led by the Spirit of God, then we will produce the fruit of the Spirit of God. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is the natural, unstoppable outcome when we walk in the Spirit. And that fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now you notice in the text that the word fruit is singular, yet it tastes like all of those things. And that's because we ourselves, when we walk in the spirit, we begin to embody that fruit. We become, so to speak, the fruit of the Holy Spirit and offering to God with those qualities comprising our living sacrifice to him and for him. 
Now, let me just say that you absolutely want to possess the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You want the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I say that because oftentimes in Christian circles, by comparison, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they attract more of our attention. And that's because we associate purpose and power with the gifts of the Spirit. But let me tell you this, that the gifts and the fruit of the Holy Spirit, they are not disconnected from one another. They are two sides of the same purpose-filled coin. Take, for example, the first expression that Paul uses to describe the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's love. What do we know about what Paul says about love in connection to the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, without love, all of our gifts, they're pointless. Like it does not matter what you do, if it's void of the love of God, then it's not worth anything. You see, it's the working of the gifts of the Holy Spirit through the fruit of the Holy Spirit that gives the work the signature of God in the first place. And without that signature... That work doesn't really have anything to do with him. The gifts have to work through the context of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the character of Christ in us. What about the last expression that Paul lists to describe the fruit of the Holy Spirit? It's self-control. I mean, that is like an actual superpower right now. Self-control is everything. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 32 says, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty and he who rules his spirit is better than he who takes a city. So that's what self-control is all about. That he who governs his spirit is more powerful than the person who can take and govern an entire city. You know what we all need more of right now? Self-control. Like we all need self-control. Self-control to resist reading another bad news article and instead to turn to prayer, meditation, and the scriptures instead. Self-control to resist the couch again and instead to choose exercise. Self-control to resist those selfish tendencies which we all have, myself absolutely included, to resist those things and instead to choose servanthood and the love of our neighbor. I mean, think about the outcome of all those choices. It's peace, clarity of mind, health, even miracles can take place, fulfillment in the depths of our soul, and all of that simply as a result of possessing the fruit of the Holy Spirit and just self-control at that. I mean, time would not permit for us to unpack the outcome of all the expressions of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And truth be told, we don't really need to do that as much as we need to emphasize that all those expressions of the fruit of the Spirit grow equally in the person who lives their life in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Let's describe that. One way you could say it is that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is the fruit of freedom. Paul takes great pains in Galatians chapter five, where we just read from, to describe the nature and the impacts of the freedom that we have received in Christ Jesus. And there's kind of two primary aspects to that freedom, two primary outcomes. It's freedom from self-righteousness and freedom from sin. When I say self-righteousness, I, I literally mean freedom from the need to achieve and perpetuate our own righteousness in order to be accepted and approved by God. 
we are free from needing to do that because now Christ is our righteousness. So I don't need to perpetuate my own perfection. I don't need to try and be good enough to be accepted by God. Jesus is my perfection. Jesus is my righteousness. That righteousness is available to all humanity. And in Jesus, we're accepted. In Jesus, we are approved. So we're set free from that that need to be self-sustained righteous. We're also set free from the power of sin. It doesn't mean that morality goes out the window when we are free from the requirements of the law or free from condemnation of the law. There's still morality because we're not just set free from the requirements of the law, we're also set free from the power of sin. Uh, Romans chapter six and verse uh, 14 says, a sin shall not have dominion authority over you for you're not under law, but you're under grace. Now the law condemns because we can't live up to perfection. The law condemns us, but grace empowers us. So grace moves us beyond the authority, the dominion, the control of sin and empowers us to live beautifully righteous lives that bring glory to God. So we see that freedom from self-righteousness, freedom from the law's condemnation and freedom from sin's power, they go hand in hand. Remove the righteous law of God and place within people the righteous spirit of God and they will do what pleases God if they are led by the Holy Spirit. Another way you could say it is that God took the law from being written on stone and instead he wrote it on our hearts. That's what it's like to be led by the Holy Spirit. He leads us in an atmosphere of freedom where the fruit of the Spirit, the nature of Jesus grows in us. You can think of that atmosphere as the perfectly conducive atmosphere for growth. It's like heavenly sunlight. The Holy Spirit helps us to live in the light so that we bear the character of Christ himself. He helps us to live in an atmosphere of freedom where uh, what the law could not produce in us and what sin tries to rob from us actually grows abundantly in us, the beautiful fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to help you live in that light so that you can bear the fruit, so that you can be a person who is just comprised of love and joy and peace and patience and all the rest, that your life would be a beautiful offering to God and beautiful service to other people. I want us today to, to make a decision in ourselves to say, Holy Spirit, help me to live in the light so that I can bear that fruit, be a blessing to God and be a blessing to other people. What does that look like? I wanna to describe to you three ways today of how the Holy Spirit helps us to live in the light. There are more than three ways, but I think these three are, they're particularly applicable to the time that we are in right now. The first way that the Holy Spirit helps us to live in the light is that he helps us to reject isolation. Now that's not just a COVID-19 thing. That's an all the time thing. But how much more right now should we allow the Holy Spirit to help us to reject isolation? And don't get isolation confused with solitude. Solitude is healthy, intentional time spent alone with God. Isolation is unhealthy, many times intentional, but often unintentional withdrawal from healthy human and godly connection. And we all have a tendency to do it. We can be isolated from other people even when we're physically around other people. We can still be isolated in our hearts. If we were honest, some of us would say that we were living in isolation before the stay-at-home order kicked in, and we'll still be living in isolation. That won't change 
necessarily just because the stay-at-home order begins to lift. The Holy Spirit wants to help you and I reject isolation right here and right now. Why? Because isolation is where the works of the flesh grow. Just like the fruit of the Holy Spirit grows in the light, grows in freedom, so also the works of the flesh develop in the dark. That's where we grow thorns and, and thistles, things that, things that hinder the growth of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, being in isolation is being alone with your flesh. It's being alone with yourself. And when you're alone with your flesh, that can only produce the works of the flesh. So the Holy Spirit wants us to come into the light so that we can grow the beautiful fruit of the Holy Spirit. And let me just say this, that it is actually a theological impossibility for Christians to go on living in isolation. We all might have spurts and bouts of isolation here and there, but it's theologically impossible for us to go on living in a way where our hearts are closed off to other people and we're not really living in transparency to those who have been called to walk alongside us. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, for by one spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, immersed into one body. So the Holy Spirit makes you and I a part of a whole. And he wants us to live connected to and dependent upon that whole. All of us connected to and dependent upon Christ, the head of the body. This is why it is absolutely imperative, just speaking contextually now for those who call C3 Los Angeles home, it's so imperative that we remain committed to our neighborhood groups. It's so imperative that we remain committed to pushing through things like Zoom fatigue and, and the challenges of digital gatherings, not just for our own sake, but for the sake of other people as well. Let me say it to you this way, because I think it'll, it'll help it kind of make sense how important this is, that right now we are not so much one church in three locations. Right now we are one church in 30 neighborhood groups. In fact, I anticipate that the first step out of this church experience where it's strictly online, I anticipate the first step will be that we'll gather in neighborhood groups on Sundays to watch church online together, worship with one another, pray with one another. I don't know that for a fact, but I have a strong sense that that's probably the next step out of this current stage. We will definitely be one church in 30 neighborhood groups then, but it's still true in all the same ways right now. So let's allow the Holy Spirit to help us reject isolation, isolated thinking, isolated feelings, and instead to live in the light of meaningful connection where we can share our fears, our anxieties, our insecurities, our hopes for the future with one another, and in so doing, bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And that brings me to the second way that the Holy Spirit helps us to live in the light in that atmosphere of freedom. It's obviously connected to the first way, but I want to emphasize something different through it. And it's that the Holy Spirit helps us to embrace congregation. And this is where the fruit that you bear becomes the context for the gifts that you have. This is where through love, you serve one another. That's what Paul says earlier in Galatians 5, that the only efforts that really avail anything is faith working through love. It's the gifts working through the fruit. And when we embrace congregation, that's what begins to happen. Embracing congregation means that the Spirit leads us to embrace one another's hardships, 
whether those hardships be physical, material, emotional, psychological. And when we do that, we continue to bear more of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, kindness towards one another, goodness, faithfulness towards one another. All those things grow. They become more prevalent in us as we actually lean into the presence of them in us in the first place. And so the Holy Spirit wants to help us to embrace the power of congregation. Let me say it to you this way, that it is impossible for the gospel to be locked down so long as those who possess the gospel don't lock down their hearts. The Apostle Paul, he knew a lot about this. He wrote to one of his protégés, his name was Timothy. And he said to Timothy in a letter called 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, that he was suffering in chains for the sake of the gospel. He was in jail. He was imprisoned because it was illegal uh, to be a Christian. And so he was, he was locked up. And then he said to Timothy this, that the word of God is not chained. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of the elect so that they may obtain the salvation uh, of Christ Jesus with eternal glory. That's an amazing idea that Paul would say the word of God's not locked down. The word of God is not chained. The gospel is not chained. Therefore, I endure all things, all kinds of hardship and difficulty for the sake of those who already believe, for the sake of, of those who don't believe. Yet I'm going to go through whatever I need to do to keep declaring the gospel, the word of God to all these people so that they may enjoy the wonderful benefits of the salvation that comes from Christ Jesus. That's what it means to embrace congregation. When you and I embrace congregation, we actually help other people reject isolation. It's living in the light, not only for our own sakes, it's living in the light for the sake of other people, calling them to join you. And think about the fact that there are people who want to be connected, but maybe they just don't have as natural a propensity as you to connect. Well, it's our responsibility as those who are a part of that whole, who belong to the body of Christ, to call them to church online, call them to our neighborhood group, call them to one night. That's our rhythm as a church that we are officially in. Church on Sundays, neighborhood groups, one night on the first Wednesday of every month, getting in that rhythm and helping other people to live in that rhythm so we can embrace congregation together, find out how we can serve one another through love. And in doing all of that, we bear more of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And remember, the fruit of the Holy Spirit has just as much to do with your purpose, with the power of God working through you as the gifts of the Holy Spirit do. That brings me to the final way that the Holy Spirit helps us to live in the light. And it's that he reminds us to invite God to search our hearts. King David prayed a prayer in Psalm 139. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. I got to pause right there because that is a brilliant idea. I mean, we live in a time when anxiety is at an all-time high. We are anxious for all kinds of reasons. I don't know about you, but during this pandemic, I've been dealing with a lot of anxiety. Even just last night, I was up late just battling thoughts of anxiety. It can be difficult. And what David does here is he invites God to, to show him why he's anxious. That's a really great thing to do. God, try me and know my anxieties. Am I anxious for my sake? Or am I anxious for the kingdom's sake? Is my anxiety self-centered or is it God-centered? Is it others-focused? Because if I'm anxious for my sake, Lord, help me to put that anxiety away. That's not healthy. I only want to be caught up in thinking about how I can serve and love you, God, and serve and love other people. Try me 
and know my anxiety. See if there be any wicked way in me and then lead me in the way everlasting. If you and I wanna bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit, we have to get in the habit of regularly asking the Holy Spirit to show us what's in our heart. Our hearts are like soil. Jesus said that. And he described to us how oftentimes the soil of our hearts can take in things that actually inhibit the growth that he wants to bring forth in us. Rocks and weeds and thorns. And those things can choke out the growth that, that Jesus wants to bring in our lives, the growth of the beautiful fruit of the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes those inhibiting factors, they are a result of the works of the flesh going unchecked and unrepented of. So what we do is we say, God, reveal to us what, what's in our heart. What might be inhibiting the growth of love? What might be inhibiting the growth of joy, faithfulness, self-control? Show me those things and Lord, help me uproot them. This is what we do when we live in an atmosphere of freedom because remember, it's not just freedom from condemnation, not just freedom from, from sin, it's also freedom to have friendship with God. It's freedom to love and to serve God. We're living in that atmosphere of freedom where we are unbound and unshackled and empowered by the Holy Spirit to love and serve God. And because we have that friendship with Him, every time we become aware of something that's in our heart that shouldn't be there, we instantaneously can lean upon our friendship with God and say, God, help me get rid of that. Help me get rid of the envy. Help me get rid of the selfish ambition. Help me get rid of the lust or the anger or, or whatever it is. God, just help me get rid of it so that I can keep becoming more like Christ, keep becoming a phenomenal servant and lover of people and a lover of you, God. When we do that, we will naturally bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You see, bearing fruit is not so much about trying. Jesus said, I want you to abide in me as the branch abides in the, in the vine. And when you do that, you'll produce fruit. So notice that it, it's not about uh, the branch trying to bear fruit. It's just about abiding, just remaining in your friendship with God. And when you do that, fruit naturally comes forth. What it is about is removing the obstacles, removing the hindrances, those things that get in the way of the growth. Ask God to help you do that, and he will. And then you and I can live as the hands and the feet of Jesus ministering the love of God to people in our neighborhoods, our communities, our city, fulfilling the godly purpose that he has for our lives and enjoying the growth of becoming more like Jesus and bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is the plan and the hope of God for every single one of us to be in that relationship with him where that fruit grows. I wanna make an appeal to every single one of you right now. If you are not in that relationship, please make a decision today to get into relationship with God. I wanna remind you that it's, it's not about you being righteous by your own effort. It's not about you and I needing to achieve our own perfection and saying, God, look at me, will you accept me? It's not about that at all. It's looking to Jesus, who's already achieved righteousness and perfection on our behalf. He went to the cross, he died for our sins. He rose again so that in his eternal life, we would have eternal life when we simply put our trust in him.